is James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hi, ho! It's Star Trek Monthly Monday number seventeen, and <laughs> I'm Chris Honeywell. I was wondering if I could get him to laugh with a stupid intro. And that oh, person here chuckling man. in the background is Scott Gardner, my co-host. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. We had a good Star Trek month this month. I'm looking forward to this episode. I really enjoyed all the all the respective Star Trek media we have ahead of us here. Mm-hmm. Got a bunch of it too. Uh huh. And I'm kind of happy. Episode... I'm sorry. I'm kind of happy. This is like one of our first shows in the last few weeks that we've done that's sort of back to our normal format. Everything yeah. else has sort of been in flux, so this is going to be cool to get back to the get back to the basics, man. Yeah, get back to the routine. I'm a, I'm a creature of, of habits and routines, so I definitely need to be in a rut, you know, so... Nice. Yeah. Back it's into the to, rut, then. We're back into our Star Trek rut. I love it. But this <laughs> is a good rut to be in, because, you know, we got, we got episodes, we got comic books, we got all kinds of great stuff, so this, this ought to be a lot of fun. Now, uh, right off the bat, do we want to talk about the uh, the topic, the, the the topical issue of the day? Because it won't be terribly topical by the time the listeners hear this. But do we? Want well, it's to only work? a couple. We- it'll only be a couple weeks old by the time. Right. They've yeah, but yeah, you know, we might as well at least to um, convey our condolences, which is sort of a spoiler of what's coming ahead, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. We. Uh... As we sat down to record this tonight, I was uh, right quick going in to check my email before the start of the show and uh, see where um, Walter Koenig's son has was found. He was missing, I guess, for a while, and uh, and they did find him, and apparently they found him dead. So that's really a shame, and uh, and our condolences to the Koenigs. That's that's very sad news. Yeah, uh, I guess he was. 
he was suffered from depression. I don't know if it was clinical. I, I I'm assuming it was just by the yeah. way his father, you know, was sort of talking in the press conferences. So and I guess he moved out of his apartment and sold his belongings and sent a letter to his parents. So it, it looks like it was a suicide. So that's that's even sadder. You know, that's that's even worse for the people who survived him. Yeah. And uh, it's weird. I never knew he played Boner on Growing Pains, Kirk Cameron's, yeah. you know, buddy. Sort of the yeah. prototype, and- like a toned-down version of Screech from Saved by the Bell, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, never I never knew watched he was, that show. I never knew. I, I remember seeing it when it was on TV, but I never knew he was Walter Koenig's son when... Uh, when you sent me the link to the uh, article, you know, I mean, it was very—you could see the resemblance was just striking. And right. and once I looked at him, I could see, oh yeah, that, I remember him as you know a teenage kid on TV. You could see see that in him too. But it was it was really strange how, without knowing that he was Walter Koenig's son, that I never made that connection. You know, I never made that visual connection that was so obvious. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Oh, I read something else today that uh, apparently he was the one that played um, the Joker in that Batman Dead End fan film. So I thought that was that was an interesting, you know, another another yeah. Geek World connection that I thought was just kind of interesting because that was a really good movie as well. And while I didn't particularly care for that interpretation of the Joker, it was granted it predated the uh, the Heath Ledger Joker in in Dark Knight, but it was in that same vein of, like, the really, I don't know, the really, like, sick, twisted, really evil, you know, skeezy kind of joke. I just right. don't care for the Joker portrayed that way, but anyway, that that was him, supposedly, as uh, Neither as the here or there, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was it was sad. It was very sad to, to hear that news, but... Anyway, let's move into something happier. What else have we got here? Do we have anything else before we want to get in straight into an episode? I'm ready to I'm ready to leap right in. All right. So, what do we got first? We got original series Star Trek. So, we're we're to one of our I don't know, I'm not speaking for you, but this has always been one of my favorite episodes and I know a lot of other people and you mm-hmm. know, if we would have had more time to plan, there were probably a couple people who wanted to be on the show, but tough titty. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. <laughs> we'll oh, get them another. Hard. They all have big lists. We'll get them on uh, other shows. But if if any of any of you people have sent your favorite Star Trek episodes in that you'd want to guest on, and this was one of them, I'm sorry, sorry. We just the blew problem it this is, time. is we'll that back that list that list is not... way back on the forum too. It's hard. Well, for it's me not to... even on our forum. It's on like I think it's on like the main Comic Geek Speak. No, no. Forum, there's so there's we'll... one on there's one on our forum too. Oh, is there? Yeah, if you go far back enough, there sure is. Yeah, so you can. Yeah, you can that's the one I use for reference. But oh, okay. It, I've almost got it memorized, so at least when an episode comes up, I go. I can at least have that little glimmer in the back of my mind going. Somebody's interested in this one, and then there's stuff like Trouble with Tribble, and you know, and Edith Keeler. That you know, a lot. You know, that a lot of people have those ones. Well, do you, 
do you have a synopsis written up for this one, or do we want to go with the official Star Trek compendium? I could. I don't have one written down, but I could give one pretty All quickly right, you're, in you're my the own king of like sentence uh, manner. I'll try. I really haven't thought about this, but it's a simple enough plot. You know, the the enter- right. Enterprise is is in the process of a uh, negotiations. Uh, what's what's the name of these these people? The uh, Halkins with the Halkins. To, uh, who are super pacifists, and uh, the, they they have dilithium crystals that the um, that the Federation wants, and they've come to this. I don't know if it's an impasse. It seems friendly enough where the Hawkins say, "Well, we can't give you dilithium crystals if they're going to be used in weapons or warfare because if one person dies from it, we'd rather have our whole race die than one person die." And Kirk says, "Fair enough." You know, but just remember, we could take this from you, and and we choose not to, which was sort of reflects back to a conversation we had a couple episodes back. But anyway, on with the story. So, there's meanwhile there's a big electrical ionic storm going on, and when when Kirk and, and crew um, beam back to the Enterprise, there's there's a bit of trouble, and they end up getting beamed into a parallel universe where there's a uh, parallel. Enterprise and a parallel planet, and their counterparts get get sent to the other Enterprise, and uh, we find out that the Federation is more like the Klingon Empire in uh, in this world we're at, and, and we've you know we watch Kirk and Uhura and um, Scotty and McCoy all have to sort of adapt and pass themselves off as evil versions of themselves, and we we find how you know the Federation in this. Uh, universe works completely opposite and is bloodthirsty and captains succeed by assassination so kirk is in a little bit of a pickle because the, the evil enterprise is going to just blast the hawkins and take their their uh, dilithium crystals and he can't even in this universe where that's the way things are he can't bring himself to do it so we there's a bit of tension as we're wondering whether the evil spock's going to figure out what's going on with kirk well Suffice it to say, it all gets worked out, and everything sort of works in in Kirk's um, Kirk's favor. You know, they end up getting the parallel Spock on their side, insofar as he's going to help them escape because he, you know, he wants to get everything back in balance. And Kirk actually plants the seeds of peace in the evil Spock's mind, or so it seems. He he actually gives him the idea of of, you know, that their way of life is not logical because he knows it'll work on Spock's Vulcan mind. And, you know, at the end we find all is returned to normal as as the evil crew have been beamed back and the good crew have been beamed back and everybody goes about their merry way, lesson learned. Spock gets to throw in a little barb about the barbarism of humans at the end and everybody gets a laugh. It's your standard episode of Star Trek. And I purposely didn't want to describe all the hijinks in the Mirror Universe because I wanted to save those for our discussion in the, in the episode. It's much more exciting that way if we both talk about it. And I'm trusting that everybody has gone and watched this on CBS's YouTube page or, or on their DVD or whatever... Whatever way you have of watching Star Trek, you can always watch it on on the YouTube page because we'll always have a link to it. And that's always free. So if you're on a computer, you have no excuse. Well, you know, while you're while you're mentioning that, I'm I'm again going to put out a, a, a little uh, plea 
for feedback. We we just I mean we get great like forum feedback. You know, we have a lot of regular forum posters and what. But as far as like regular just good old fashioned email feedback, we really don't get a lot. And that's one of the things that now that we're covering both classic Star Trek and next generation, you know, as well as, you know, we're covering the uh the first series of uh DC Star Trek. I'm curious you the listener listening right now what brought you to this show what keeps you coming back you know what what is your interest in this show you know are you listening for the classic are you listening for the next gen do you enjoy the whole thing because you're an all altogether star trek fan what is it exactly that that pulls you in and and, and lets you listen to this show i really want to know that so you know write in and let us know you know send us an email and uh we're going to try to be much better about uh, addressing our emails here in the future but uh, yeah, that's something I'm just I'm really curious about. What is it that uh, that the listeners uh, are coming for? What is it you know, that they're enjoying the best? You know, the classic or the next gen or the or the whole damn thing? You know, I just I really want to know that. Uh huh. Me too. I'm <laughs> curious. Well, you know, on uh, you know, you had said uh, about this being one of your favorites. So here's here's it. the funny thing. You know, we've had a good number of episodes now, you know, of these classic episodes where, you know, we use the random number generator, we, we pick the episode, and a number of times things have come up where, you know, one or the both of us are like, oh, God, because uh, we remembered some episode being, you know, not so hot. And this was one of them for and, you? And, well, that's the thing. No, it didn't work out that way this time, because this time, this was definitely one of those ones where... I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know, I don't hate this one or anything. Right. But I, I never liked it very much. And so I was really hoping that this would be an instance of, like before with some of the other episodes that had come up where we, you know, like say Spectre of the Gun's a good example. You know, that one came up and we both kind of snickered and we were both like, yeah, that one's kind of, yeah. But then we watched it and we're like, wow, that was actually really good. We enjoyed it a lot better now. And I was really hoping that would be... That would be the case with this one. No, not not so much. Really, no, I, I I liked it even more. I I got even more out of it in this one, and I will go into my, I will rhapsodize about all the cool stuff, and I have a lot a long list of cheesy stuff in it too. <laughs> but I thought this one was. I think this one has so much appeal because Kirk and McCoy and Spock and. And we got Scotty and Uhura. Oh, but basically, all the characters are represented in here, good and evil. And it's you know the you know a good villain is always more interesting than a good hero. You know, you get right. to indulge in total abandon. You know, abandon and watching if your heroes are all of a sudden just completely amoral or or actively evil and that's what you get with this this alternate universe enterprise you get to see what James and 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 what's really what I think is really cool about it is you get to see how evil James T Kirk would be in the other universe but you get to see it through the good Kirk's eyes they didn't right. they, it's like they purposely really only had you know a scene or two with the with the evil Kirks aboard the Enterprise, just like I'll give you money, Spock, anything, power, any interesting, you know, you get that one scene to see them all as their evil counterparts. But mostly, you get to see the evil world through the good people's eyes and see how they have to 
how they have to try to maintain their moral standards without while at the same time blending in and not getting themselves assassinated at the same you know I mean the the good Kirk doesn't even want to torture anybody in this in this episode and that's just that's like you know sending someone to peel potatoes in this universe so when he doesn't shows mercy on people all of a sudden you know the whole ship is ready to leap on him right but this is what I don't get and this has always bothered me even when I was a little kid this is one of those first things that I saw and I was just like hey wait a minute how the hell did the transporter just why did the transporter change their clothes but I think I think it's one of those internal logic external logic type of things where in, in this case it's external logic is that you know if if they materialized on the Imperial Enterprise in their regular Starfleet uniforms, then instantly Imperial Spock would have known that something was up. Yeah, you know, he he would have realized right away. Well, who the hell are these guys? Or or at the very least, you know, why is your uniform different, Captain? You know, so they had to be wearing the same uniforms. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Whatsoever. Right. It just ex- for, except to serve the story. So there were a few things like that. Like at, at the same point. In the parallel universe, why aren't the Halkins evil bastards? They're pacifists in the other one. They should be the opposite in the mirror universe, right? So they should be assholes. Well, that's the thing, though, is is everybody opposite? You know, are, are, is every nice person suddenly evil and every, norm, you know, regularly evil person is suddenly nice? You know, like, are the Klingons a bunch of tree huggers or something? Right, you know? right. Are, you know, are they nice, sweet docile people or you know are they you know regular Klingons or are they even worse or what you know so that you know that was part of it too I I got the feeling that it wasn't you know a lot of people want to call this like evil Kirk good Kirk type of thing I don't really see it that way so much as at some point in the past somebody evil took over yeah right well actually you know uh, I think it was one of the Shatner novels that kind of sort of half-assed went into where exactly the divergence lies, you know, to that that made these two universes different. Right. But here, here, that's part of my problem with this one as well, is the idea of, of you know, while I think the idea of parallel universes is really cool and really interesting and all that, here, here's the problem is that for that one moment, when they switch enterprises in this one, they both had to be in the same spot at the same time doing, doing essentially the, same, the thing. same thing. Yeah. But then for the rest of the episode, everything is completely different. Yep. And that, I, I just don't know, does that does that logic hold? You know, does it work exactly? The, I guess the only other, well, no, this, my other idea was that you know, somehow, like a like a tangent timeline was inspired right at that very moment, but that doesn't follow either because then that doesn't lead backwards to how did they end up serving you know Imperial Earth or whatever the hell it is they're into instead of a Starfleet. So that you know that tangent timeline thing doesn't really work either. So I I don't know. It's it's really I don't know. It, it it's a cool story. It's a cool concept and all, but if you think too much about it, the whole thing just kind of falls apart, I think. That's how it usually is with interdimensional travel. Although this was really the... I have always liked not as necessarily alternate 
timelines, but I've always liked interdimensional stories about in- interdimensional travel. I've always thought that was a really fascinating thing. I've right. always thought if we're going to travel to another, actually viably travel through space, it would probably be interdimensionally somehow, you know, by right. by do by doing that. So I, you know, and I think this was like my first experience with that. And, you know, I mean, it's obviously cheesy, but the idea is there. You know, what's funny is, you know, when they figure out what's going on, it's, you know, as if they just are figuring out the whole concept of interdimensional travel, you know, being possible, you you know. But, well, if this and this happened, there could be a parallel universe, blah, blah, blah. Is is this possible? You know, and they ask, you know, asking the computer. And I love the computers on this. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that's possible. (laughs) Yeah, that could happen. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know where I was going with this. (laughs) 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 It's just that you think by the, by the 23rd century, they would have, I mean, right now the idea of, of other dimensions is, is pretty well established so you know I thought it was pretty funny that it was you know something they just sort of like hey (laughs) what about this there's a different dimension so I I thought that was a little but you know whatever I'll I'll, give the wrong impression because I I know that you know I know that we have some really hardcore Star Trek fans that that listen to the show and you know I don't want them to jump on me oh how can you like this one all right, so I want to clarify. You know, I don't hate this one or anything. It's just not one of my it's, favorites. It's, for for one thing, my my major beef with this one, it just it's really slow. It's it's got a great concept. There's some really great character moments in this episode. Some really exciting things happen. I like that this is one of the rare episodes, the rare few episodes that, like you say, really use the entire ensemble classic cast. I mean, this one's got it all. It's got Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Well, Hura you know, really gets Scotty, the strutter Uhura stuff Chekhov. in this one. Yeah, Hura, definitely, yeah. You know, Sulu gets some good screen time. Chekhov gets to do something. Scotty's front oh, and center. Oh, God, George Takai gets to really act and, and pretend that he's interested in, in Nichelle Nichols. <laughs> it's a stretch, man. I knew, I knew you were going to go there eventually. I oh knew you were going to go there eventually. But, no, you're right. You're right. He does. He, he passes it off, man. As a kid, I thought that I, you know, I never would have suspected just because of scenes <laughs> like that. <laughs> but you, there's two things that hold it back for me: is that it's it's. I think it's really slow. You know, it just doesn't have a lot of that classic. That's okay for me. That's you see because I like it because I don't mind that it's slow. I'm interested in the other universe so it's fascinating right. you know everything that happens is fascinating because it's a different everything is different you know so you know i mean i you know i love that kirk has his own universal spy device that can just c- completely annihilate people you know at, at the touch of right. a, a dial or a button and and i love the way that they switched things around i love the federation logo of a planet with a sword speared through it you know mm-hmm. it's it's just great so I like seeing how everything's a little different and uh, I love just how 
casually, you know, it's like your agonizer, please. <laughs> you know, yeah, just know. any little infraction, the agonizer. It's great. You can almost see it's almost like the Snuggie or something. You can almost see the ads like Ronco <laughs> agonizer. <laughs> Are you a captain of a ship and your crew's unruly? Use the agonizer. <laughs> I think the other thing, though, that that really uh, holds this one back for me is um, what's her name, Marlena, Cap, you know, the evil right. Kirk's skanky woman. Yeah, yeah. You don't See, like those skanky women, do you? I don't like the skanky. Ones. She's no, slinky I, and skanky, and she's not she's, that. She is pretty skanky, but man, she's oh man, and it just it ties up a lot of the episode. But you can see, you can see good Kirk going, you know, I know why I like this girl. And thinking, you know, how much time do I have before, (laughs) you know, this window of opportunity for beaming? You can see him palpably think that about three times, you know, in that whole, in all the scenes where they're flirting together. And, you know, she's just like, what's up? You know, Kirk wants to mate with me again. And, and, uh, you can see Kirk thinking, maybe I should, maybe I should do it just to, maintain you know the semblance of normality <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll be doing it for the ship that's right the ship well, I love I love the last shot of the show as the credits are starting to creep up is Kirk walking up to uh, what was she's like a lieutenant yeah and, and, and she's standing at the handrail with something that he just signed. <laughs> and he walks up behind her, and he's like, eh, "Let me see that again." And it look—it gives you know—he's obviously interested in. Well, her. because he's thinking, well, if she liked me, if she was doing me in the mirror universe, right? Yep. Then, the, yeah, and he's Kirk, yeah. And I, does he say something like, "I, I can see the beginning of a beautiful friend"? It was totally, yeah. totally non, non PC, not professional, or not even professional for a Federation. That they, they wouldn't have put up with that stuff in Next Generation. Get off my bridge! <laughs> well, it's that, also that funny kind of shenanigans. It's funny too because it gives the impression like like that thing that he handed to her and and or she handed to him rather, and he signed, but he didn't even read it. Because then he goes back it up. Said, and you know like, what it said? It said, that thing it- "Yeah, because it said, do you like me? Yes or no? <laughs> Circle one." <laughs> Well, you know, that's not true either, though. What you said about, you know, they wouldn't tolerate that in, in Next Gen because there's that. Oh, there's all sorts of fiddling episode. around. You're right. Yeah, but did you ever see the one? Oh, I wish I knew the name of it. It's the one where uh, where Picard gets a girlfriend that's a crew member. Did you oh, ever really? see that? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's really good. Where Because uh, she's hot. You know, Picard's she's, she's got a girl. If it's Captain. She's really hot. And. Uh, and she was a fellow crew member, and she like has this piano. You know, she like she plays the piano, and he plays that flute thing that he got from Inner Light. That episode, Inner Light, right, it was right. it's a solid episode. But yeah, they got some hanky panky going on, and I don't think the captain's supposed to be doing that. So no, that's that sort of can screw up the whole power structure. Oh well, maybe I don't know. They're just more enlightened in the twenty third century. So maybe, yeah, you know, they would have got okay. So maybe they could get away with it in the next generation, but they would have been a little more classy about it. <laughs> Kirk. Yeah. Kirk was just like, "Hey guys, <laughs> he did everything but like slap her on the ass." One note is I did watch the remastered edition of this, and uh, one notes is beards and scars don't hold up 
too well to remastering. <laughs> you could, you know, you could almost see the spirit gum holding on the the mustaches and beards and stuff and the the fake scars, but that's okay. But oh, that- I cracked my kids up with one moment like that, you know, because everything, like you say, is crystal clear, right? In the remastered, that part where Scotty goes up into the Jeffrey's tube uh-huh. and he puts the little device against the side of the wall, I said. Why is Scotty putting that can of Vienna sausages up there? And Scotty just died laughing. My son Scotty just started laughing because it did, didn't it? If you if you watch that scene again, that thing that he he sets against the wall and it like sticks magnetically or whatever, it looks just like a can. Of it Vienna probably was sausages. with a magnet stuck to the bottom of it, or some bubble gum to make it stick there, you know. And speaking right. of that, about twenty three minutes in. Did you catch this when when uh, Scotty and McCoy knock out the guard to engineering and they go into engineering? I forgot to look. You oh, told I, me about I, it and I, I forgot to look. I for pre-warned it. you. It's 23 minutes in, everybody, and when you see that door open, you can see the guy who just pulled the left side of the door open, like ducking back into the side to get out of the camera range, which of course he fails miserably at doing. And I believe he's like in a yellow, like he's in, like he's not even in like a drab outfit that would sort of go with the gray wall. He's in sort of like a yellow or, or like light orange jumpsuity sort of thing. It's it, it's like the first time I saw it, I caught it out of the corner of my eye and I went back and I watched it like two or three times and it's like son of a bitch. He, he's standing there and then you can, you can almost see, you know, the thought process of, oh shit, and then backing up, you know, <laughs> back up slowly and steadily, get out of camera range. And of course, the and another. I don't know if that's an effect of the remastering. I'll have to watch it on the YouTube site, which is sort of remastered. That's still cut off the, like, gussied up. You know where they fixed up the sound and the color and stuff on them. So I'll see if I can see it on that one too. And of course, with all the crisp and clear stuff, when they fight Spock in um, in sick bay at the end, you can totally see. <laughs> The guy, the the stunt man who plays Spock for the more complicated stunts. Oh yeah. Well, none of them were because I noticed that. <laughs> I remember you tell me about you know to watch out for that. I noticed that not a not a one of them is you know in the long shots where it's like it's almost like you're watching it like on a security cam. And, right. You know, and none of the actors are the the principals. They're all stunt doubles, and they all are like shit stunt doubles because they don't look a thing like the actual <laughs> right. actors. It's hysterical. And, and you know, and there's lots of cuts back and forth and stuff. So it takes on, like, a lot of times when you see stuff like that, it looks almost like the parodies that people make of stuff like that when, right. when there's bad stunt actors. Like on Family Guy when they made fun of Kirk and the Gorn and the stunt actor. Right. But, um... I think people forget, though. You know, they, they forget the context of these things. Right. That that most people, even at that time in, you know, 66 through 69, you know, were watching these on a, on a rinky-dink little black-and-white television set with shit reception from some rabbit ears or something, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, even as late as when we were watching these as, a, as kids in the 80s, it still looked like shit, you know? It was st- I, mean, I mean, TVs were way, you know, I mean, the definition on TV. TVs and I, I watch these on my nice big computer screen, so it's like super high definition. So, right. you know, the, the the more you the more you gussy it up, the more that those you know 
all the right. the seams start showing in the the stuff in the background that was just foggy. You can see that it's just like a set, you know, in some places. But yeah, well, you know, I it, it doesn't it doesn't really bother. <laughs> it amuses me more than bothers me. Right. And hey, this episode we get to see a little preview of the evil Kirk. We get a little <laughs> taste of the greatest episode of all time. Well, that episode was way before this one. Was though, it? In, oh, in so the, it's a oh, reprise. Yeah. So we get yeah. to see Shatner gets to gets to do his id Kirk again, which is always one of my favorite things in yeah, the world. This is a second season episode, and and that was first season. Like, what was it like number five? I think something, something like that. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Uh, but yeah, I know. Well, that's actually that's that's one of the things that that lends into some of my disappointment with this episode is that it reminds me in a lot of ways of my beef with uh, there's a, a Grant Morrison book I bought years ago. It was called JLA Earth Two, and it was billed as this you know it's going to be this knockdown drag out fight between the Justice League. And the crime syndicate, which is basically the crime syndicate, is this evil version of the Justice League in a parallel dimension on another Earth. And they were going to meet and they were going to tussle. And they never do in the whole damn book. And that's why I didn't like it. You know, one of the main Yeah, you never get the fight that you want, but they're, they're both yeah. in it. But they're not yeah. Yeah, doing what you want to do, which is beat the fuck out of each other. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the thing with this, too, is that I would have loved if we, you know had gotten a moment where where good Kirk and evil Kirk tussle, even though that's not really the story in this one. And it's and been kinda, done. <laughs> well, yeah, it had been done. But also, I wonder if... Now, we would, of course, get sequels of a sort to not necessarily this particular story, but we would see more Mirror Universe stories. You know, Deep Space Nine had a whole storyline about the, the Mirror Universe. Right. And... and uh, in uh, in the last few episodes of Enterprise, we actually got to see kind of the formation of the Empire. You know how the Empire came to be. You know in the in the parallel universe. But I always wonder. You know if Star Trek had had, had its run and it had lasted at, at least the the full five years of the five year mission and maybe even longer, would this mirror universe have been revisited? And, I mean, all we can really do is speculate about it, but that's one of the things I'm looking forward to in the storyline that we're going to cover, you know, in the comics here in the next few shows, is, you know, getting that sequel story. So, I I hope that there's a... Because I honestly don't remember if there's any moments where we see good Kirk and evil Kirk tussle, but I hope there is, because I was really looking forward to that. Well, my only other note here is, once again... It's Chekhov that gets tortured. <laughs> Chekhov that gets to writhe in agony. And, and this, you know, for some reason, Chekhov was sort of like the Marvin, the paranoid android of Star Trek. You know, he just or the C three PO of Star Trek. He just always ended up, you know, getting shit dropped in his ears, tortured, you know, beaten up. You ever wonder if maybe it's just because he has a great scream? It could, be. it could be, because I noticed in the in the J.J. Abrams, you know, they played off every cliche of Chekhov except that one. Except that he's always the one that gets, you know, I mean, we in the in the last month in the in you know the 
Spectre of the Gun. He gets shot, <laughs> shot dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just as he's about to get laid. Even worse, he gets you know, oh, he gets teased. Die. He gets teased to where he thinks he's gonna get somewhere with Daisy May, and then shot in the chest. So. Yeah, I don't know. They so, something they they like to abuse Chekhov for some reason. So, but that's basically that's basically all I really have to say about. I I thought it was a great episode. I thought it was really interesting to see that world through the lens of Kirk and crew and them trying to maintain their their ethics. You know, I mean, Kirk. Sh- right. You know, Kirk is visibly disgusted when he listens to his evil counterpart's history and. You know, and then when it gets to the part where you know succeeded Christopher Pike by assassination, you know he goes over and just switches it off, and you can tell in his voice that he's just disturbed and disgusted. He's like, "Well, now we know." Well, see, that's another one of those things that lends into what I was talking about, though, is how did, how exactly did they both wind up at the same place doing the same essential thing? Because if Kirk became captain through the assassination of Pike. You know, where does that leave all that, that time that was tied up in the Menagerie episodes? You know, well, with, with Kirk returning Pike to Talos Four and all that shit. In, you know, in in string theory, quantum physics, since there's an infinite potential of wor- worlds in different dimensions, you know, and every you know, so basically anything that you could imagine as far as a variance and combinations of variance of <laughs> of dimensions is is possible and happening so you know there so it could possibly be that you know since it's possible that there was one where everything happened in perfect step in in some places and some places it didn't you know so any scenario that you could imagine could be interdimensionally represented whatever <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I really only had three notes, believe it or not, for this Ooh. whole episode. I figured, you know, the, the rest of it would kind of fill itself in as we talked. But uh, my only real notes I took while I, I wrote or while I watched this episode was uh, I loved the uh, the interaction between Uhura and Kirk. Yeah. When they first realized their dilemma and Kirk orders her, you know, go ahead, resume your station, go up to the bridge see if you can figure out what's going on you know keep me apprised and she starts to leave and then she realizes you know where she's going and, and the magnitude of the situation and she just turns around and she never says I'm afraid but she she hesitates and Kirk it's just a really good Kirk moment you know he goes over to her and, and he reassures her and you see the power of his character really you know the, the power of, of Kirk and being able to, to inspire other people and being able to reassure other people. And he, he just makes her feel better. And, yeah. and gives her a little bit of confidence to, you know, I, I believe in you. You know, you can do this and sends her on her way. He, I tells really her, like uh, he says, you can do it and you got to do it. And then he tells her, don't worry, I'm going to be up there in a few minutes too. So Right. Right. You know, he says, you know, basically the promise, I'm not going to leave you alone there. I know what you're doing sucks and I'm going to be there too. So... Yeah, I thought that worked really well. Yeah, I like that. That was a really good moment between the two of them. Um, I like the moment right near the end of the episode where, for for just a brief minute, they think that you know their plans have gone screwy, and only three of them are going to be able to return to their own universe. 
So Kirk says, you know, he, he's going to stay behind. He's going to get his people back. And Scotty actually calls him Jim. You know, he says, yep. Jim. And I love that. It's the only time Scotty ever calls him Jim in the entire series. Even in the movies, I think. So I really liked that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, Scotty gets to really, you know, you get to see Scotty's character being practical rather than being... Well, he's usually being practical, but it's... He's in the adventure. He's not just down in, in engineering, you know, cranking up the engine. Right. He's, yeah, he's like problem as, solving. I like these later episodes as we get into, you know, further into the series where he got to, to shine a little bit more than, yeah. you know, like you say, just being the guy down there, you know, fixing it, fixing something or bitching about, you know, I can't, I can't give you any more power or whatever. Right, is. exactly. My last note here, just to show what a what a big Star Trek geek I am, I guess, is uh, the scene where uh, our universe's uh, Mar- Marlena hands yeah. that pad to Kirk to, to be signed. That's the clip that they used in that Deep Space Nine episode that was a sequel to Trouble with Tribbles, where they where they went back into Trouble with Tribbles. Remember? I don't uh-huh. know if you ever saw. It I never saw it, but I've heard about it. At the very end of that episode, Cisco goes to the bridge and hands Kirk something for Kirk, for Kirk to sign and they actually have a brief exchange between the two of them and that's the scene that they used so that Cisco could actually hand something to Kirk they took her out digitally and put Cisco in right to that scene so it's it's actually pretty cool but that's where they stole that from everything well, else in that episode is from tr- trouble with tribbles but that one moment where they actually, you know, the two captains talk to each other. That was actually from this episode, so I thought that was kind of cool. That's all I got. All right, well, I think we should go to a break and come back with more Mirror Universe fun, but this time in comic form. Hey, right now, Loblaws is having a huge frozen food sale. You can get tremendous value on over 50 frozen food items, frozen vegetables, frozen meat entrees, frozen concentrated juices, ice cream. If it's frozen, you can save plenty. Don't get left out on the cold. Come on in and stock up that freezer. Loblaw's frozen food sale. Another reason why more than the price is right. This is Tim in Tokyo inviting you to join us every Monday for Deconstructing Comics Podcast. Whether you're developing your own comics creation skills or you're simply a lover of the comics medium, you'll enjoy our mix of interviews, reviews of comics from all genres, and discussions that explore all aspects of creating, publishing, and distributing comics. In addition to American comics, we cover books and creators from here in Japan and around the world. Listen at DeconstructingComics.com or find us on iTunes. This is Tim. Hope to see you soon at Deconstructing Comics. Life sure is boring down here on Earth. It's all full of work and no thanks. The rich folks get richer and the poor still are poor and the middle class works for the banks. So beam me up, Scotty, oh beam me up, Scotty, life's full of troubles below. Beam me up, Scotty, oh beam me up, Scotty, 
I'd like to get up and go My wife left me Thursday and took my new car She left me the kids and the bills Let's swing to a planet near some distant star You could cure all of my ills Beam me up, Scotty, oh, beam me up, Scotty Life's full of troubles below Beam me up, Scotty, oh, beam me up, Scotty I'd like to get up and go Realize the enterprise can civilize the savage beast that beats within my heart and calm me down. Talk to Spock, the Captain Kirk, I'll do my work, oh please deport me, won't you teleport me up off the ground? Beam me up, Scotty, oh beam me up, Scotty, life's full of troubles, below. Welcome back to the second part of the show. This time we're going to tackle DC's Star Trek number 10. This is from... When the hell is this? January. This is the January 1985 issue written by Mike W. Barr with art by Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. And this is a story called Double Image, which... Isn't that a famous rock song of some kind? That's Double Vision by Foreigner. Oh, Double Vision. Vision, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> Fill my eyes with that double vision. That's what it is. That would work too, I guess. All right, so we start off this uh, story. We see the Enterprise, which you're going, wait a minute, wasn't the Enterprise destroyed in, in the last movie in Star Trek Three? Well, yes, it was. All will be made clear presently. So we see the Enterprise, and it deploys two shuttles that fly out and project some sort of weird energy thingy that projects this enterprise into our reality because this is actually the evil enterprise from the mirror universe you know with uh and has bearded spock on board and everything so now they're in our universe and they set about creating mayhem in the meantime captain styles captain of the uh, uh excelsior has been dispatched to round up Kirk and crew for their actions in the rescue of uh, Spock in Star Trek 3, the search for Spock. So he's headed to regular one space station to pick them up. That's where they're hanging out presently because they've gone there to uh, have a service for Kirk and uh, Carol Marcus's uh, dead son, David. So that's where they're hanging out presently on Vulcan. Talar pronounces that something's not right with Spock, that she's not sure that the uh, 
refusion of Spock's mind to his body has taken and that uh, he's in danger. And then we cut back to regular one station where the Excelsior has pulled up and it now has the Klingon ship, the captured Klingon vessel uh, in a tractor beam. So it's taking it in tow, basically. Kirk and his people come aboard and basically have to deal with Captain Stiles, who's just a major asshole. Nobody likes this guy, and he's really written to be even more of an overbearing prick than he was in the movie. I mean, in the movie, he was just kind of like a pompous, kind of arrogant, strutting kind of guy. In this, he's just an outright asshole. And so Kirk and crew are now aboard the the Excelsior in their... uh, I believe they're supposed to be headed back to Earth, right? They're headed back to, like, Starfleet headquarters, I believe, to to face the consequences of their actions. So we cut back and forth, basically, between them and their evil counterparts aboard the Enterprise. Their evil counterparts really just just create a lot of mayhem, really. They, They come across this space station, and seemingly for no good reason, they just blast the place up. And then when the defense fleet from, you know, which is really just a bunch of little ships deploy out of that space station to try to defend the station, the evil Kirk comes up with this very clever plan of introducing a bit of uh, antimatter into the uh, the shields for just a split second and it just fries all these little, they're almost like little like runabout style ships, little uh, shuttlecraft style ships that are defending the base and he fries them all in one, one fell swoop takes out the entire uh, defense fleet and aboard the Excelsior they get the call that something's wrong there's a distress signal you know please respond so they come flying into the situation and Kirk the evil Kirk's enterprise is able to cloak and so it goes to cloak however the Excelsior being a, a, a newer model ship and more advanced and everything than that Enterprise is able to see right through their cloak and does some weird energy thing where they are able to render it visible again and a battle ensues and during the course of the battle evil Spock is actually able to tap into the controls of the captured Klingon bird of prey and activate it and makes it shoot at the Excelsior. Well, the Excelsior has that bird of prey in tow. So basically, the bird of prey shoots point blank at the Excelsior and just takes it out and just really dis, you know, disables the entire ship. And that's when evil Kirk and his security people are able to beam over to the Excelsior. And at the end of the story, they have seized the ship. And we get a uh, a really good panel of finally our good, you know, our universe's Kirk, you know, good Kirk facing off with bad Kirk, and then also Captain Styles is there yeah. looking all like, <gasps> he is literally holding his hands out in front of him too. No, yeah. no, 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 no! <laughs> Don't shoot me. Yeah, but next yeah. issue, dueling Kirks. Just what you were asking for. Exactly what I was asking for. So yeah. I really, really liked this issue, but you know, as this series wears on, more and more of that mystery of why did I drop this series is answered for me because the art continues to degenerate. It's really bad in this issue. It just seems hurried. Yeah, the the ships look fantastic. I mean, I really don't have much complaint with the ships other than on the opening splash page that one shuttlecraft that's on the right-hand side of the page... 
what is up with the wing sort of thing going on with it? Yeah. yeah. It looks like a pair of scissors. or It looks yeah. really wacky. But for the most part, the ships look fantastic. It's my, my main beefs are the people. The, the actual faces and the people look terrible. And the colors on this are just... I don't know what yeah. the look was that they were going for. But if this was recolored, it would help tremendously. Because it, it almost looks like... Comes off looking like a... I don't know. Like, a, like it had been colored like it was a color book or something right you know it, it's really not dynamically colored at all it's it's really everything's kind of a drab shade yeah of it, reds yeah. the blues subdued earth tonies things and and you know the reds are all light reds you know they're nothing really pops out you know mm-hmm. which could work but the, it doesn't there it there isn't like Maybe they don't use black enough or darkness enough or darker yeah. colors, so so you don't get a feeling of depth with like backgrounds and stuff. Everything just gets that sort of flat. The only places where you really sense depth is once again with the spaceships out in space. Right. But when you're dealing with people inside the ship or anything, everything just sort of flattens out because you know the backgrounds are just sort of one solid lit color often they're just a color you know in one frame the color behind everybody will be blue and then it'll be red in the next one and then purple in the next one right and then blue and then yellow that's actually a sequence that i'm looking at right now you know and yeah you're right It, it it just doesn't work and it actually makes the art i think look worse because I've seen the faces worse. I've seen the characters drawn worse in this in right. this DC run. But um you know, yeah, if I think this would have looked a lot sharper just in black and white. In simple black yeah. and white with no gray tones in it, or maybe just gray tones. Maybe I'll pop this onto Photoshop and and bleed the color out of it and see what it looks like. It probably won't look that good because the colors will come out as gray tones. But right. yeah, I, I think it, like in black and white, it would have almost had the look of some of the art in those Warren com- magazine-sized comics or something like that. I think it would have worked a lot better. Because you're right, the art does look very rushed, but it's still serviceable. I mean, right. it, it's done in such a way that you can tell what's going on you can tell who's supposed to be who and things like that. So I think ultimately a, a lot of it, it comes down to, you know, it, it, it's a triple whammy when it's a little rushed, you know, it's not great to begin with. And then the, the coloring is just not pleasing to the eye. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't complement the art. And those three factors together combined to just really and it just really puts me off it's just not really it's just really not good is the problem i mean i'm looking at like say like page 13 is a perfect example of the coloring um here just not working you know the space scenes like you say they don't really have a lot of depth i mean that's a scene right there that needs black in it yeah and everything is everything in the background is either purple or blue and you know why is that not black with then just like pinpricks for the stars i mean that would really spruce that up to 
what what these really need, and I, I wonder if maybe this has even been done. I know a lot of this stuff has been reprinted in trades and collected editions. I wonder if any of it's been recolored. That would be that nice. Really yeah. Help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sure would. That would help but a lot. I find myself with stuff like this is, um, I get I get used to it. This is the visual style of DC Star Trek right now, so I get into that language it's consistent it's consistently sort of half-assed the art is right you know so i mean i take that as 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 the normal point for it so then my brain maybe focuses more on the story so like i enjoyed this but i guess i was i just sort of like i didn't i i wasn't really dwelling on as a matter of fact i didn't really know what i didn't like about the art until you brought up the coloring point and that is what sort of answered the questions I had about why I didn't like the art because really it's not horrible art. It is it's a little rushed. You could tell that, you know, there were certain points where he was like, I'm gonna put a lot of detail here, but there were other points where he chose not to you know, like where they go look at I think it's on page fourteen actually, the next page where they're in the new in the Excelsior's um sick bay and he's bragging about it. And you have this huge giant sick bay, and it just there's just not much going on there. There's not much detail to it, and you know it's sort of a wasted, wasted potential. It could have been a really neat, right. neat scene. But in general, I sort of like this. I sort of like that it was uh, that the the basically the DC Comics came back into it you know since it's going to be literally such an awkward transition and they knew because since star trek 3 ended sort of you know with everybody with everybody's status in flux that that they were going to have a hard time sort of shoring things up and that they were going to have a couple years to run the comics before the movie came out and shattered their continuity so they came out with a, sh- a pure blast fest, you know. It's just, right. you know, they cleaned up, they, they they quickly tidied up all the loose ends as well as they could in the last one. And this one, it just is the, it's the evil guys. I mean, a lot of people get killed in this, you know. They just, they're just yeah. wiping. I mean, there's a couple points where, you know, they're giving their report and, status i think at one point one of the status reports is everybody's dead <laughs> so right yeah so they're you know they're coming in they mean business they're not they're not just coming back to wrestle around with their evil counterparts and scream and sweat they're coming back to seriously wreck havoc which answers the question did good kirk's seeds that he planted in spock <laughs> take root maybe they took root but (laughs) spock hasn't been able to do anything about the direction of the the you know federation at the the evil federation at this point it seems well that that's something i'm really curious i'm pretty sure that uh you know my memories of this are are extremely vague at best but i'm pretty sure that there there is an exchange coming along in a future issue where Kirk gets to talk to evil Spock again and ask him basically well, what you know, happened what what the fuck happened you know what did you not take my <laughs> advice or what which would and be think- totally Kirk's ego to say you know you didn't change the entire federation because of my advice 
Right, yeah, exactly. And I, I'm pretty sure that there's a moment where, where I forget what Spock's reason is, but I think it basically does end up coming down to something along the lines of, well, I'm just one dude, you know? Yeah, I think, and I want to live. I'm pretty sure it's something like that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Well, you brought up a great point last issue, which I, I'm hoping gets addressed in here somewhere in this storyline of how implausible is it, given all the backstabbing and shit that was going on in, in the original Mirror Mirror episode, that all these people would still be together, not only in our universe, but then in the evil universe. You they're, know? They're, I mean, they're all together on the bridge and nobody's killed. And, uh, you know, I mean, literally in the course of one day in Mirror Mirror, there, you know, there were people just, you know, I mean, there was an attempt on Kirk's life, you know, so that stuff's happening all the time, you know, they're probably right. just, they probably have to ship new people to all the ships all the time to keep them stocked, you know, <laughs> with new cannon fodder to work their way up, uh, which would sort what of I'm, work in a Darwin sort of way. <laughs> right. What I'm hoping, and and I'm probably... I'm probably going to be a little bit disappointed with this because I don't know that this ever comes through, but I'm hoping that a reason will be given. I'm hoping it'll be something like as soon as evil Kirk got back to his own enterprise, he he called a meeting and said, okay, we need to pull together and we need to go conquer that other, you know, something like that, you know, to where a little bit of logic is applied to this idea that why in the world would these guys all still be alive? You know, yeah. why? You know, why would they all still be together? Maybe they're you know? rogue. Yeah, and Maybe. so I would love that if if there's if a reason does come along. So we'll just have to see. But I, I think this plays very well as what it what it really is. It's a great opening salvo to this storyline, and I, I thought it was really cool. I like that they just you know they pop into our universe, and instead of immediately having you know okay, let's you know set course for Earth or set course for you know, Starfleet headquarters or whatever, they're like, all right, let's just go tear some shit up. You know, it's completely random. They're mayhem. I love that. I think that's really cool. Or at least at this point, it appears totally random. Right. We don't know if they have a plan, but yeah, yeah. It just seems like they're like, whatever they run across. I'm thinking it's going to be like in Mirror Mirror, somehow that gave them a lock on, you know, they when after Mirror Mirror happened, the evil Spock, like recorded some instrument measurements that gave them a lock on that universe and he kept it in the back of his head well here's a universe where everybody's weak <laughs> right you know and 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 maybe we can get back there at some point or just you know just for the sheer sake of information cuz he's a vulcan so that's how i'm thinking they they came back because i don't see why there would be i don't see why there would be much bad blood between like bad kirk and good kirk because basically when it all when it all falls out, everything gets put back to normal, so nothing lost, you know? Just Chekhov gets his himself tortured a little bit, and Uhura gets sexually well, harassed. I don't, I don't know, though. I mean, there, you know, he, he planted, you know, potentially anyway, planted some seeds of, of dissension and of, of I don't know, Which doubt or something don't like seem that. to have really, uh, I mean... I mean, Spock is not estranged from Kirk in this. They're still, you know, they're still on the Enterprise together. Right. 
the evil yeah, enterprise. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because my other thing was going to be that you know that that our Kirk also tipped Spock off about the Tantalus field, right? Which again, oh, you know, right. As you say, they're still together on on that ship, so you know it didn't. You know, it doesn't. Uh, at least appearances are that it uh, didn't set them at odds. Maybe with each now others. Spock has a Tantalus field too, and they're like the you know it's like the Cold War. They're like you. Uh, the U.S. Ah. and Russia, they have each other in a deadlock, so they're still together, but they know they could, because they know they could kill each other at either time. But that's just idle speculation. We won't right. know until we crack open <laughs> issue number 11 of Star Trek. Which we will do next time. Next month, and next issue, it's actually called ba ba bound 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 Doolin Kirks. Doolin Kirks. I love it. I love it. Yes. So, did you have anything else on this one? That was that. I pretty much covered everything I got to say about DC Star Trek number ten. What about you? That's all I got. Um, Except, I love the cover on this because uh, Sulu looks like he's got the runs big time. He's like, oh. Oh my god, he does have the Hershey squirts. He's even got the one hand gripped over his abdomen, just like, oh, the pain, the agony. You're right. The crew, it was bad, bad um, seafood on the buffet at the Enterprise that day. It's like, yep. Someone slipped out. It's those lukewarm crab legs like I got. (laughs) Red lobster. I don't want to hear about your venereal diseases, man. <laughs> Somebody slipped a salmonella subroutine into the food simulators, and there you go. Now they're polluting the bridge. Pretty soon, all the maids are gonna have to cut. You know, housekeeping. <laughs> oh my! Oh, Mister Kirk! Oh my, my! Poor Scotty's dead. Look at him. <laughs> He's just napping. All right. It looks like bad gas on the Enterprise. It's great. I love it. That's that's a good story title. Bad gas on the Enterprise. It's an evil <laughs> gas creature. All right. <laughs> we'll be back and we'll all right, be all we'll, we'll be all serious for the next generation. Yeah, the hell we will. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Oh, I don't feel well. I don't want to talk about it. Diarrhea. I don't want to talk about it. Cramps. Try Donagel. I don't want to... Donagel relieves diarrhea fast. And Donagel has extra medicine for cramps. Others don't. Well, no diarrhea, no cramps. Honey, about the way I acted... I don't want to talk about it. Donagel, recommended by doctors and pharmacists for diarrhea and cramps. Relief worth talking about. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Captain, we're passing warp five. A warp speed malfunction hurls the Enterprise to the far reaches of space. Data, what distance have we traveled? 2,700,000 light years, sir. To a galaxy where the crew's thoughts... This can't be. You've been... Dead. ...become reality. It's a spellbinding journey where none have gone before on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. funny oh uh, uh, you can't can't win them all 
<laughs> so now, <laughs> now we've moved forward in our trek time. Away I don't want to the... win them all. I just want to win one. Yeah, well, someday, someday, Charlie Brown, someday, um, we've moved beyond the mirror universe and the 23rd century and now we're what 80 years 79 80 years in the future the next generation and we are going into our next episode which is where which is titled where no one has gone before and i'm gonna pass it off to scott to tell you just what happens in this okay particular episode Alright, I am cheating, and I am using the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion by Larry Nemanek? Nemasek? I don't... Larry, change your last name, I can't pronounce it. Um, For the synopsis on this one, because it's nice and short. Here it is, it is. In this episode, the brave new warp theories of a supposedly brilliant Starfleet consultant go awry when the quote-unquote expert plunges the ship into a neighboring galaxy and then into a dimension where the physical and mental worlds converge. The trouble turns out not to be with the expert Kaczynski's theories, but with his mysteriously meek assistant, whose race can travel among dimensions and times. The strain of propelling the entire ship, though, has put the so-called Traveler gravely near death, threatening to strand the Enterprise forever. And in this nether space, crew members begin seeing alternate realities that threaten their sanity as well. Finally, it is discovered that Wesley's friendship has a curative effect on the Traveler. He strengthens the alien just enough to get the ship home. Before he does so, though, the Traveler advises Picard secretly of Wesley's prodigious abilities and urges him to not let them go undeveloped. With a proud mother standing by, Wesley is promoted to acting ensign by Picard, and his academy training begins. You know what? That's in error because his mother's not there. She's not standing by when he gets his promotion. No, and there's there's another there's another error in there really, and it's I don't think it's really Wesley who has a curative effect on the guy on the traveler. I think it, it, it's they use the Tinkerbell effect on him. Right. Remember, yeah, Picard has yeah. yeah, Picard has everybody you know think positive thoughts everybody who doesn't have to pay attention to their job but everybody who's not doesn't have an important job to do you know you have to think positive give it was totally new agey you know give every what What episode was it i remember us talking about it where the tinkerbell effect came up again we were talking about that recently one of the captains i i want to say it was a kirk episode where he gets on the intercom and gives a completely idiotic order like okay everybody be happy or something. What the right. hell were we talking about? I don't know. Well, it's sort of... I mean, yeah, it was sort of exactly like this. This is yeah. what it is. Think positive thoughts and direct them in this direction. And, you know, it was it was basically the New Age version of prayer, basically. Right. You know, but, you know, they were in... They were so far out in the universe that they were in a place of malleable reality. Which sort of goes along, I guess, with the last couple interdimensional ones. What it really reminded me of is the movies and the book Solaris, which was set over a, at a space station over a planet, and the planet was basically conscious in some way and would create things from the people's minds, you know, in, in reality. So, you know, they would experience all these re- weird, surreal visitations of, you know, former 
former people in their lives and pets and stuff just like this one you know everybody was seeing their pets and Picard sees his mom and Worf the the best part is when Worf sees his, his you know warthog pet from being a little Klingon I have a problem with that one though now the, the one between Picard and his mother I like that yeah. I really like that scene a lot yeah. because I can remember watching this episode in in first run you know when it was a brand new episode and liking that moment and being able to backtrack that moment to the moment where Picard starting started to lighten up a little bit and started to you know he you, you started to see kind of the the human being underneath just the unlikable old bastard cuz boy at the beginning of this this is another one that starts out with him just being a grumpy old fucker at the beginning yep. of it cuz he and in uh Riker are having that little back and forth exchange and Riker actually has a pretty good point and Picard's just ah, I, I just can't stand the his, at the beginning of this episode I can't stand the way his character is written but then later on after he sees his mother and in that moment really is powerful then he kind of lightens up a little bit and I really like that and he, he seemed a little more human after that but the part I have a problem with is what you were talking about with the when Worf sees that Targ it's a nice little moment and all that. You know, he has a little happy, oh, I had one of these when I was a kid. But then I got to thinking about that. All right, granted, this is only, what, like four or five episodes into the series and Worf hadn't been fleshed out yet or we hadn't gotten an origin or whatever. Right. But it, but eventually we do get an origin for Worf and a whole backstory. And this Tark thing, I don't think fits because it, it's revealed that you know, he was an orphan child, you know, that his parents had gotten killed at this attack at Kittimer and this Starfleet officer found him, took him back to Earth and raised him as his own back on Earth in, what was it, like, you know, like Helsinki or somewhere where they lived. So, I mean, I find it extremely doubtful that they bought him like an actual Klingon pet that he had on Earth. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you'd think it would probably... Uh, yeah, well, you'd, you'd think, A, there'd be some s- sort of restriction on alien species out of their habitat anyway. Well, where but, would they yeah. even get one, you know? Uh, well, they, you know, I mean, they could get one transported over on a ship if they were wealthy or something, you would think, you know. I but guess. at the same, at the same, you know, there's the practicalities of feeding it. Of making sure it doesn't get loose and kill everything in the you know surrounding ten mile radius because it's a Klingon animal, which means it's an ultra badass animal, and it'll just eat every cat and dog and domestic beast within you know. But um, yeah, uh, but it's, yeah, but that you know, I mean, they hadn't gotten that far when they wrote this one, right? At that point, and uh, you know, but I I, I thought that was it was it very much reminded me of uh a solaris and i i i really you know i this is the second time i've seen this recently because i watched him a couple months ago and Mm -hmm. now i'm rewatching him just before the show and i remember seeing this one and going yeah i kind of like this one it's and, and upon watching it again i like it even more it's very it reminds me of reading you know an old school which you don't see these anymore, you know, because I don't know if they even print the science fiction magazines. I don't know if there's any place for where you get 
regular short stories, you know, science fiction short stories. But it reminded me of that. It reminded me of good old-fashioned science fiction, you know, a problem you would run into the future and how it's solved and with a bit of commentary into either human nature or the human condition. And I thought it was all splendidly sort of presented. I thought this is like a great... This is the first real, like, solid prototype Star Trek The Next Generation show. You know, See, I've heard that said about this really? episode before. I, I wish I could remember where it was in print. But I remember years ago reading something, an article or a book or something all about Next Gen. Uh-huh. And you know the greatness of it, and, and you know the legend of it, and how it you know came to the be the majesty of it. And you know there was that talk about how kind of you know sorry the first season was, and the article or whatever was trying to backtrack to the point where they figured, you know this the switch was thrown and and the course was set to where the, you know, the show eventually became the, you know, the, the awesome thing that it was. And they backtracked it to this episode. And at the well, time, well, that's pretty early was, on in the run. So that's yeah, pretty good. So I don't know what they have to bitch about the first season. If like five episode was, this is right. the fourth or the fifth episode, uh, you know, something like that. Yeah. Fifth, I think. Yeah. And you know, at the time I, I, I read the thing and I, I, I sort of agreed with points that it was making that this was the first inkling of the greatness that the show could be. You know, this was the first episode that really fulfilled the potential and all that. And I agreed with every point of it at the time. But I'll tell you, watching this, this is the first time I've watched this one in a very long time. And I watched it literally today, just before we started recording. And holy shit, does this one... I mean, my biggest note on this one was holy 80s. Yes. I mean, this well, one yeah. visually does not hold up. It's it's really dark, it's really red, and it's that, like, old videotape kind of red. And yes. I'm watching these on, like, on DVD. Right. And it still looks that... It looks like that 80s... 80s high-definition video. It was yeah, 80s it, high-quality three-quarter-inch video, you know, three-chip that still looked like video. You know, it was still in that phase between film and video, you know? Right. And you could really... You, you, it sort of looked like film, but, yeah. it always, And and especially when you up it onto DVD, it's going to show up... The, those flaws are going to show up more because... It's just going to pull out that what was high quality then is, yeah, is now shit. <laughs> right. But that's I mean, just, that's almost unavoidable. Basher. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, I'm not an 80s basher by any stretch. I mean, that, you know, that's when we grew up. And I, I consider most things in the 80s, you know, the awesome. You know, that's when movies were the best. It's where, you know, soundtracks were the best and comics were the best. I mean, that's just my decade. But on the flip side, when the 80s don't work, they don't work dramatically. It's the same and, with the 60s, the 70s, the 90s, and now, too. When it doesn't work, it's like... That's why all those CSI shows in 15, 20 years, people are going to watch them for a totally different reason than they do. They're going to watch them and go, look at these. These are so turn of the century. Right. Oh, my God. Listen, they got the Who playing again in the background. Oh, my God. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. And this is definitely a, a 
an example of that. Yeah, and, and you know, there's subtle things like the hairstyles of the people in the background and, yeah. and all that, and, and the way the, the sort of jumpsuit look of a lot of the background people, you know. Well, there's that one part, you know, you were talking about the hairstyles, there's that one part where Picard gets on the intercom and does his little, you know, this is Lando Calrissian thing, and everybody stops to listen, you know. And they show that one woman standing there, and she looks like just like Mariette Hartley off yes, Entertainment Tonight. That's from the exactly 80s. I what like, I was thinking shit. of. And she's in her little weird like jumpsuit, like yoga outfit, you know. Yeah. And yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, that's just. <laughs> that's I mean, I just know you can't avoid that sort of thing, but this is one of those episodes where it's just worse than than any other episode I've seen up to this point, where. You know, they didn't even make an attempt, it looks like, to make it look futuristic or, or make it look, you know... Because I think Next Generation typically did a pretty good job of making things look sort of timeless. You know, right. to, to not make it look dated. terribly dated or terribly tied yeah. to the 80s. But this episode, both in the way that it's filmed and then just hairstyles and... And can you know just camera work in general? I just was watching this and I, I just kept it just kept pulling me out of it. But I you know I just didn't think that the episode itself uh, held up either because I thought it was really good. And I was watching it at the beginning, going, "Wow, this is really so much better than I thought." But then I'm not exactly sure where it happens, but at some point. I would say it's like basically the last it's like from the last commercial break forward at the very end it just kind of falls apart I thought the ending was terrible and it was it just so many parts of it come off as really cheesy yeah especially the whole thing at the on the bridge at the end well I guess we're gonna have to make him an acting ensign and you know he's acting all goofy and Oh, please don't interrupt me, Wesley. And Wesley, oh, sorry, sir. And he gets all nervous. And it's just like, oh, my God, this is so badly acted. It was really, really rough. Well, I I, I thought maybe it worked because Picard is so awkward with kids that the scene should be that they maybe scripted it a little awkwardly to show Picard really trying, but, you know, to, to... to, you know, to show that he did appreciate what Wesley's contribution. Plus, he also has information that nobody else has. That he completely took at face value. <laughs> right. <laughs> he didn't really do any research into it to make sure this guy wasn't, like, just fucking with him or had some, you know, other agenda, you know, what his agenda was. Yeah. He just took it at face How value. But this guy that's not telling him how special Wesley is isn't really like some creepy space pedophile or something. Or, yeah, you know, or he, he knows no that Wesley's idea. the new, like, evil con that's going to take over the universe and he's there to, to <laughs> you know, I mean, it could be. But it's, I like the scene where the traveler starts figuring out that Wesley's gifted and it, you know, it has that feel of someone who's gotten to travel back in time and they're, you know, at a restaurant and they run into like the 17 year old, you know, a young Einstein. Right. Like, like the real Einstein, not young Einstein, like Yahoo serious young <laughs> Einstein. But, you know, he, he really has that amazed thing of like, you know, he realizes what he's seeing there. And I thought that scene was very well acted and well written and played where 
where he, you know, he's looking away and he's trying to, you know, he knows he can't let Wesley know, let on that, you know, he knows that he's brighter than every, you know, everybody around him by probably, you know, exponential margin, except for maybe data or something, you know, but I thought that scene was, I, I really liked that scene. I love, I love story elements like that where, where they, um, introduce something that could be developed it could be developed into something in the future or it couldn't be you know right it doesn't have to be there was a um i didn't watch the x-files that much but i remember there was one episode where they had a guy who could touch you and tell you how you were gonna die and he touched agent scully and at the end you know she was he was like you know i think she asked him how he died how she died and he goes you don't and then he died, or somehow he was out of the picture. So, you know, I thought that was a neat. I love stuff like that that leaves, you know, the fu- something fucked up happening in the future, or the potential of something interesting and larger scale happening in the future on it, which you know was something they didn't really do in the old Star Trek. You know, this one right. they, they seem to be planning on being around for a while. You know, right, <laughs> and and doing some more you know, sort of continuity in that direction. So I sort of liked, I sort of liked that idea. The only problem is, is that they did, they did come back to this and revisit it later. And I thought it was one of the absolute they worst episodes it. of the, yeah, it, it was just, uh, we'll, we'll get to it eventually, but it was just like, Oh God, you know, well, it was really not one of their finest moments. I, I thought, and my drawback, the part of it that I thought was very, um, that didn't work out about that whole dynamic was where Wesley started talking about space and time and thought not being separate and being all intertwined and, you know, and, and, and all that. And the traveler going, hey, don't, don't tell anybody you're thinking about that stuff because they're not ready for it and all that. That stuff's been around for <laughs> thousands of years before us. You know, there's been people, you know, I've, you know, there's plenty of people who talk about, you know, quantum, quantum physics or, or new age theories of, you know, thought, thought being the thing that can transcend time and space and all, and all that stuff being intertwined. That, you know, that should, in, in the time of this Star Trek, that should not be an unfamiliar idea, whether it's a debunked idea or one that's discredited or whatever, it still should be a, an idea that that has existed for a long time so i don't that 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 didn't really play out weird and and to that effect also from that when um they do get to where thought influences time and space i think the absolute worst thing for the captain to say to a crew would be you know you must control your thoughts because anything you think of could become real the minute somebody right. told that to me, what would my brain do first thing? It would be like there'd be like an army of Sasquatches running down the hallway or something with axes in their hands, you know, just like and fighting Wookiees and stuff. It would be, you know, it would be out of control. You know, there's just no way you could tell people that and not have their brains automatically start. Or everybody would be just like having sex with supermodels or something. Yep, there you, you go. That, yep. It was that on your list there on yeah, your notes? Uh, my, my list would be uh, it'd be something like that scene near the end of Meaning of Life where uh, 
where the Grant guy Chapman's runs off being chased by the the topless rollerbladers or whatever the hell <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> well i had a i had a couple notes on this one um for one thing i noticed a hell of a lot of recycled footage in this one like the whole the episode starts out with recycled footage where the where the enterprise is pulling alongside that excelsior class ship that's right you're out right. of the first episode you're right and there was a bunch of it, and I, I kind of wonder if it was a cost-saving thing because oh, you later know on it was when they, when they get to the, you know, the wacky, weird, touchy-feely dimension, you know, then everything was, you know, that's really... where that's where the budget got spent, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, but now being older and a little more savvy, you know, you can see things like that a little clearer. You know, you can see exactly, okay, that's where they were saving a little bit. Because I was watching uh, an episode of Enterprise earlier this week. Uh Uh-huh. And there was a scene where uh, the captain and somebody got into the transporter. And you see the guy operating the transporter and then another guy standing by. And they, like, nod at him and the guy works the controls and you hear the sound, but you never hear them beaming. And, you know, my older cynical mind was right away said, oh, they just saved some money right there. Because you didn't have to yep. see the beaming, you just heard it. So, you know, it's little thing, it's little tricks like that, you know. Yep. It's funny to watch these now from that different perspective of trying to figure out, you know, where where were they saving the, bu- the budget at? You know, where were they saving money and reusing things or, or cutting things or whatever. So it's, it's, I, I killing off, <laughs> killing off characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now this episode, despite my, you know, thinking it kind of fell apart by the end or whatever, not, I just didn't think it held up as well in, in the long run. Still has one of my all time favorite lines from early next gen in it. Which is when that uh, Kaczynski prick walks into engineering for the first time and sees Wesley and he goes, why is that child here? Because that's precisely what I would like to know. Why is that fucking child here? I still want to know in the most thought yeah. Wesley Crusher was such a fantastic idea for this show because I'd still like to see him get <laughs> launched out of an airlock. Well, it's funny because that character is, is it's very Star Trek. He, he starts out as... He starts out, and through most of the episode, he's an insufferable egomaniac prick, right? Rude, rude to everybody, you know. But they, but as as it goes on, they they um, build a sympathy for him. He actually starts to see what a fuck up he was, right? And starts to get a little humble towards the end, and start and actually, you know, is wor- you know, he doesn't fight them. You know, he reaches a point where he is smart enough to go. I fucked up. I've got to, you know, and I, I've got to help this situation. And he and you find out that the guy honestly does want to, you know, he does. He's got good intentions. He's just an ass, you know. Right. He's just arrogant, but he's not beyond realizing that and and correcting that. And that's very Star Trekky, you know. They don't let anybody be. Especially one of the good guys, be a too much of a bad guy. You know, the bad guys are there to be bad guys. So, so there's usually some sort of something that brings them around or gives you some sort of um, compassion for them. And that was certainly in here, which right. makes which makes it feel very Star Trekky. And and here's another one of my notes. Again, you know, they lo- uh, here. 
already here's a second reference to rape gangs. <laughs> I know. It but must I, be when the writers, the, when the I, writers got their character studies of all the characters and they read it. It's like the I wonder. Uh, the, the, I think the, probably both the episodes with the rape gangs were probably written by male writers who were just like they focused. They were like that character. They were like Tasha Yar rape gangs, and and that. The, that concept stuck because how do you think of Adriana Ferguson though when you heard that line because I did and I just started laughing because she oh yeah she went about went off about that and that the last time yeah around. and here they are again and I'm sure and and I'm sure from now on we're always gonna like you know notice the the references to the rape gangs but I you know I I that's that's my interpretation of it I think the writers were just like. I don't know. I think we got something with this rape gang thing. I think that's something that people are <laughs> going to want to see come up over and over and over and over again. Now, did you notice that scene with Kaczynski right toward the beginning of the episode where he's trying to give them the little lesson on why he's a fucking genius and all that? Right. And he shoves Riker out of the way at one point, and Riker looks like for just a second he's going to whoop that guy's ass. And for, you know, it's just this brief look he's got but uh i love that, that that's one. good acting yeah well yeah because in later episodes he shows himself to be you know fully capable of taking care you know, he's kind of like the kirk of next gen yeah you know? he's fully capable of taking care of himself of kicking some ass and everything and he's not the guy that you should be pushing out of the way like that you know being being a complete asshole to uh, i just like that that look he's got on his face like he just wants to hurt that guy yes (laughs) yes yes now here's a nitpick for you all right how many fucking times in the history of star trek you know have we seen any any starship the enterprise or some other ship or whatever whipping right along and something wacky happens and it starts to go faster than it was designed to be built and somebody, whether it's Scotty or somebody, starts bitching about, you know, she's going to fly apart or, yep. you know, she can't handle the strain, Captain, or whatever. Yet in this one, you know, this Kaczynski and the Traveler come aboard and they put a little high test into the warp drive. And all of a sudden, you know, they're going at like warp 50 or some shit and traveling to other galaxies and stuff. And the Enterprise just kind of deals with it. I don't know. Does that hold up? Well, I think it's the high test is the traveler. Right. So I think the way the traveler's doing it is he's using his mental powers somehow. So basically, you know, the Enterprise is probably not traveling in normal wear and tear mode. It's traveling interdimensionally. So there might not be the, you know, it might not be the stresses or the traveler might be exerting some influence to keep it in some sort of state where, you know, because yeah, they do it very smoothly, and but and when they bring them, and they just bring themselves to a halt at one point, you know, they're going right. su- super faster than any starship's ever gone before, and they, you know, they, and of course they say, yeah, we've never tried to stop at this speed before, but you know, he has them do it, and and they do it, it's fairly smooth, you know, <laughs> so it might have something to do with the traveler, I guess. Yeah, because I think, don't they say something about no matter how fast or how far they've gone that their instruments only ever showed them going at like warp yeah. 1.5 or some shit like yeah, that? They, so, yeah, it showed right. them going at the warp speed that they set that they were going to go. Right. 
and uh you know so everything so you know every i don't know if it was you know the traveler generating a field or somehow influencing the ship or whether he was like influencing the computer you know that right. that that's readout screen he had with the sort of bands around the ship whether he was contr- you know using his powers to control that i don't i don't know but this you know it doesn't really spell it out too much but uh it's interesting it made me think that maybe the traveler like purposely was there to do the whole you know to work this whole situation as a way of maneuvering wesley into a title on the enterprise right you know so and and or maybe as a way to uh spur wesley's mind you know with that because you know as wesley's watching him and saying well what if you did this and you, and you did this and the and he's like well what if i did this you know he, he since we're you know dummies and since really what we're watching is scientific gibberish you know, we don't really know what Wesley's doing there, but it could have been, you know, the the traveler could have set this whole thing up just to sit there and pull a little test on Wesley to see if he was indeed the one who could bend time with his mind break, or yeah, break balance to the force. Yes. <laughs> but you know, the, the, like we said, you know, this this whole thing does pay off way, way, way down the. I want to say that might even be in the last season. I'm not sure. I know it's way down the road, though. But, uh, yeah, this this whole storyline with the Traveler and with Wesley being, you know, a, a, a super genius and all that bullshit does eventually pay off in a really weird and strange and, to me, very unsatisfying way. But, you know, it's, it's, coming, it's coming down the pike. Yeah. Wesley Crusher, super genius. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, another thing I noticed, and maybe this wasn't in retrospect. Maybe this wasn't so weird, but it just looked weird when I realized it. We come back from a commercial break at one point, and Doctor Crusher is treating the uh, the traveler, and she's got him on a table, and she's running her little bio scanner thingy and everything, and telling them what's wrong with him and everything. When I suddenly realized that in the background, wait a minute, that's not sick bay. That she's actually doing this in engineering. She's got him like on a little bed thing and everything and treating him. And I'm like, wait a minute. Since when the hell is there like a bed in sick bay? And why did, or I mean in uh, engineering rather, and why the hell didn't they take him to sick bay? And it just, I don't know, it struck me as really weird. I mean, I guess it could have been like a, like a gurney somebody brought in or something like that, but it just right. looks really strange. It, right. it looks like she's, you know, maybe they didn't want to move him or something. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's just really bizarre. It, it just looks, you know, when the scene starts, it totally looks like she's treating patients in engineering now. It, it was really weird. Then Looked maybe they're strange. redecorating sick bay. <laughs> yeah, they were putting wallpaper up in yeah. sick bay. So yeah. <laughs> the one thing I noticed in this that I liked, and I, I I didn't catch the name of who did it. But I liked the score in this one a lot because there were a yes. lot of flourishes that were very reminiscent of Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yes. I, I really like that. I'll agree with you there. I noticed that too. It makes me really wish that there was the the this music was available. Yeah, I know. That would be really cool. 
there's really not very much music from the next generation. Not just no. next generation, but really not any of the later series. I mean, there, there's a few. I mean, next generation had what I think four albums that came out. There was like the original one for Encounter at Farpoint. There was one for uh, Best of Both Worlds. And then there was a volume three and a volume four, which are just, you know, uh, like samples of different episodes, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Not an anthology, but you know what I mean? It was yeah. just like like a sampling of, of bits and pieces from, from different episodes different yeah. per album. And then there was a there was a Deep Space Nine album album for its pilot. There was a Voyager album for its pilot. One for uh, for Enterprise for its pilot. And then I think there's just a few bootlegs that are out there for various episodes. And I think that's about it. That's really a shame because man, I mean, Next Gen alone. I mean, you know, had se- well, I, you know, Next Gen had seven seasons. I think DS9 and Voyager both had seven seasons. That's that's a lot of freaking episodes. Yeah, it is. And a lot of music that just, I don't know. I'm sure some of it got recycled, but still, there's yeah. got to just be tons of it. And some of it good, some of it repetitive, but you could still, like, boil that down to a decent anthology or box set of each series. I, I, mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they don't think there's enough market. Maybe there isn't enough market for the cost of remastering it or whatever they had to do. Or, you know, they might have to... I think they would have to pay all the musicians. I think it might be logistically... They have to pay all the musicians who pay, played in the orchestra for all that and, and everything, you know, royalties. And so who knows what what holds it up, but I'm, it's got to be money. <laughs> it's probably money, but I would venture a guess that, you know, if we're patient enough and live long enough, that it, it'll eventually come down the pike. Because these, these types of things always tend to, you know, because... I've seen, you know, box sets for other TV shows, you know, soundtrack, you know, like uh, not too many years ago, the Twilight Zone, you know, the original Twilight Zone got a really nice box set of soundtracks and stuff. So, yeah, I would imagine, I mean, you know, the original series has been pretty well covered as far as yeah. soundtracks and all. And, you know, it, it took a long time for that to come along, but... uh I would imagine next gen eventually. The 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 difference with something like next gen, though, I'm not as familiar with the scores to the later you know series, even though I've seen them and everything. But with next gen, probably part of the problem is that they were actually working under a directive, you know, on later seasons and stuff for the music to not be terribly, you know, for it not to stand out for it not to be terribly thematic or or dramatic or anything like that. And so in a lot of later episodes, it really is just background, you know? It's just Uh generic background music. But still, I mean, there was still enough there that, you know, there's certain episodes where the music still stands out and is worth, you know, making it onto some album, even if it was just, you know, a collection of several different episodes or whatever. Yep. You know, there's still really good you know like this is one and there's other ones people i I think people i like sort of that that background music too because it's an ambience right that you can you know if you're doing something and you play if you have background music playing in the background sometimes that's what it's for it doesn't occupy your brain too much if you're doing something where you don't want to get too dragged away by the music you know what i mean 
Right. So. Well, I mean, you, you have to have that fine line when it comes to, to scores. You know, you have to have yeah. that fine line between, you know, what you're talking about. You know, just being background, it doesn't intrude too much. And being bore, flat out boring. Um, yeah, being boring. But then also, you, you, you know, you don't want to risk it being there and doing nothing. You know, to where it doesn't enhance a scene or it doesn't create a mood. Because music is powerful. You know, when it comes to to film and television, you know, I mean, in the right, oh, it's hands, one of the most powerful things in the universe. Period. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, as far as creating a, a mood in a scene or a mood in a in a movie or, or a television show, I mean, it's it's so powerful. And I think that was one of the the places where a lot of times in in next gen that they did fail because when they were under that directive later on and I'm, I can't remember where, where exactly that started but at some point in the series that happened where you know they they really worked under a directive of make these scores just really kind of just bland background stuff and that's a shame because for a while they they did have some really solid um, scores going on. I mean, that's that's the whole reason why Best of Both Worlds got an album because that's one of the greatest Star Trek scores there ever was as far as episodes goes. I mean, because Ron Jones knocked himself out with that. I mean, it feels like a movie score. Right. And it's just for a two-part episode. But that's the work that he was producing. But then later on, they let him go because they didn't want that you know they the the it was probably, it was probably budgetary too i'm sure could, could be it could be but then later on we got so many episodes by guys like uh dennis mccarthy who you know i like the guy but then everything just sounds the same you know there, there's nothing thematic or dramatic about it it's just kind of it's there and if you listen to those later albums, you know, especially like the, I'm pretty sure it's the fourth volume of the Next Gen scores. I mean, you put that on and it'll play. And after it's over, I mean, there's nothing you're humming or, or uh, that was memorable to you. It was just, it was almost like a New Age album. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a shame. I, I, I like, I like scores that, you know, when you listen to it, it, re, you know, if nothing else, it reminds you of, the source material, you know, right? You the show, like, yeah. yeah. You, know, you listen to like a Star Star Wars soundtrack. Even the most inexperienced ear should be able to pick out at least one or two scenes and go, "Oh, I remember that part of the movie." You're talking you know, that, a higher higher budget time frame. You know that that the time and the money and the talent is that's John Williams. You know, right. not that the guys that worked on Star Trek were good but you know you got well maybe that's an extreme example but i mean yeah. example, you know you listen to an episode you know you listen to a really good classic star trek score you know you listen to dun, 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 oh yeah dun, 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 and right away your mind goes oh that's the part where kirk and spock fight on vulcan you know that's what i'm talking or about. somebody's fighting <laughs> right, yeah. exactly you know or you know and you're like, oh, that's uh, Spock being moody or something. Yeah. You know? So you know that's what I'm talking about. That that kind of music that really makes you associate with a particular scene or a particular mood or character or something. That that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And to my mind, to my recollection, 
No, it's you know, not really there for you don't next get generation. That no. In next gen, no, you really don't, and that's a, that's a shame. That's a shame because I think that that was one of the staples of, you know, one of the hallmarks of classic Trek that didn't translate over into yeah. next gen. I think it was purely. It became more expensive by the time they were doing next generation to do that, and yeah, just in order to get the show out and they probably were getting their budget cut all the time and fiddled with and all that well i'm i'm pretty much at the end of my notes how are you doing on yours uh, let's see yep i uh i pretty much nailed all of mine well let me fire up the old uh old computer here <laughs> i actually remembered this time that we we're supposed to <laughs> there we go get it chugging right along and it's spitting out all right, we got number 29. 29er. <gasps> Ooh, this is a good one. Oh, yeah? This is Operation Annihilate. Annihilate! Oh, this is the one with the pizza creatures, Oh, yes, right? it is. <laughs> we get to meet the pizza creatures, and we get to meet Kirk's brother, sort of. Yep. So that's something to look forward to. Oh, excellent. Oh, and his wigged-out, screaming uh, sister-in-law. Oh, my gosh, she freaks me out. There's, there's, yes, a lot of fun coming. Excellent. That is a good one. That is a really good one. I'm looking forward forward to that that one. Yeah. And the next-gen episode will be... I think it's Lonely Among Us is the next one, I think. All right, now the book goes in a different order... Then my disc goes, but I'm pretty sure it's Lonely Among Us, which I can't remember what the hell this one is about. So no, I just watched it. I'll remember it once I start watching it again. That's why I gotta watch them over again, because I'm a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys are gonna end it at that. <laughs> <laughs>
Visit our website at two true freaks.libson.com. Two true freaks.libson.com is spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Libson, which is L I B S Y N dot com. You can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S C O T T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.